John 13, our reading today, John chapter 13, beginning with verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is God's word for God's people. Well, it's not every day that I get to bring a friend uh, to LaCroix's pulpit and uh, welcome him to uh, our worship service, but that's exactly uh, the honor I have today as we welcome uh, George Acevedo to LaCroix. Uh, George is a friend. He is one of the founding members of the Sanctification Network. Some of you have heard us talk about that. About four years ago, a group of us pastors serving um, large United Methodist churches around the country came together concerned about the level of consumerism in our churches across the country and also uh, hungering for a deeper level of discipleship in our churches. And so we've rallied around the battle cry, more and maturing disciples. And we get together every Thursday for two hours to Zoom and God has just brought us together. So we've gone through so much together. Uh, this has just become a dear group of brothers. And George is uh, one of the key people in our group. Um, and he, again, he works, he, he serves with me. He serves, he's part of the Sanctification Network. But he's, for the past 27 years, been the senior pastor at uh, Grace Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Some of you recall when Hurricane Ian hit last year, we collected an offering, and you all gave so generously, over $35,000 to that. Uh, well, that went through Grace Church because they were ground zero for the hurricane, and they've served their community, their neighbors uh, really well um, after, and they're still recovering from the hurricane. Uh, George, uh, senior pastor there for 27 years. Uh, those of us in the Sanctification Network traveled to Cape Coral a few weeks ago uh, to be with him as his church celebrated his retirement after 27 years. Now, George has uh, successfully handed this off to a new generation of leaders, but he's not retiring in the traditional sense. He's going to be very, very busy. Uh, he has, God has called him to serve younger leaders, young pastors, others serving in the church, a bunch of them coaching them, mentoring them. Uh, also, he's written a number of books over the years. He's going to be able to give more time to his writing, teaching, traveling throughout the church, and, and encouraging people. Uh, and looking forward to what God is doing just now, just in the past few weeks in, in, in George's new uh, phase, new uh, phase of ministry. Uh, he has been married to Cheryl for 42 years. They have two grown uh, sons. They call Cape Coral home, and I am just blessed to call him a friend. Uh, we're very glad to have him here today. So we all give a really good welcome to George Acevedo. Thank you, Good morning, LaCroix Church. It's good to be with you. Isn't Pastor Ron awesome? Can we give God praise for Pastor Ron this morning? Yeah. Now, you don't, you don't know this because uh, y'all are at home, but uh, 
uh, I get around a, a lot of churches, and they're not all uh, led by Pastor Ron's. And so you can thank God every day when you uh, get up and say your prayers, thank God for him. And Linda, it's good to be with him. Good to be with Brett. We're going to have lunch today. I think he's buying, Ron. I think he's buying. It's on him. Hope he's got the church credit card. That's good. As you can tell, I can eat, so it's my spiritual gift. So um, it, it really is, is good to be here. Now, Ron mentioned this marriage course and a 20-page 20 page evaluation. I don't want a 20, I've been married for, I don't want 20 pages on my marriage. I'm sorry. It is a miracle. Cheryl and I will celebrate 43 years this December, and it is a miracle that we're still married. And let me tell you why. And when I say miracle, I mean parting the Red Sea miracle. I mean Lazarus being raised from the dead miracle that we're still married. Uh, uh, some details will help you. Uh, my wife is a only child of Indiana Midwestern folk. And I'm a uh, middle child of a loud Puerto Rican family. Did, did anybody see my big fat Greek wedding? Okay, that's our marriage, right? And, and so uh, uh, we, we just, it's just amazing. And when we got married uh, in 1981, when we got married, we had a, a worship bulletin. We went to the same high school, went to the same, uh, uh, went to the same church. She was 18, and I was 21 uh, going on uh, 13 when we got married, right? And, uh, uh, and, and so when we got married, the, the worship bulletin you see there, it says closer to Jesus, closer to one another, and everybody who got to, oh, that's so nice. And Jesus has kept his promise. <laughs> We've just not always kept ours. He's stayed with us, and that's the only reason we're together now almost uh, 43 years later. And part of the way that we've learned to get along with one another after these many years is that we have little mantras, little sayings that keep us kind of on our toes, keep things light. And one of those goes like this. I said, I want mustard on the ham side and mayonnaise on the cheese side. Now, let me tell you how that story came about. Uh, my mother uh, is the youngest of 12. Her 11th sister um, was the only one who lived here in the States. Everybody else lived on the island of Puerto Rico. And so when we were growing up here in the States, my dad was in the military, served for 25 years in the United States Air Force. When my dad was in the military, my aunt was married to a military guy, and we spent a lot of time together here in America. And then um, when my dad retired, they had retired in Orlando, so we retired in Orlando the year that Disney came to Orlando. And so that's where I grew up. Uh, I grew up right there next to Disney World. And, uh, and so Titi Sodi was always at our house, or we were at her house. So flash ahead a number of years, I'm engaged to Cheryl. She's 18 years old. She's still in high school. I don't say that at our youth group back home, okay? <laughs> She's still in high school. And we're in, we get engaged at her senior prom, girls. Don't do that. Bad news. Bad move. So we get engaged. So, so, so she, she, we're over at my aunt's house, and my aunt Zori, Titi Sodi, my mother's next uh, oldest sister, says, would you like a sandwich, Georgie? Only she got to call me Georgie. Would you like a sandwich, Georgie? I said, sure. And I said, uh, mustard on the ham side, mayonnaise on the cheese side. So she brings me the sandwich. And I open up the lid, and it was mustard on the cheese side, and mayonnaise on the ham side. So I closed it up, handed it back to my aunt. And I said, I said, I want mustard on the ham side and mayonnaise on the cheese side. And with that, my dutiful aunt went and made me a new sandwich. And my soon-to-be wife, Cheryl, she didn't say anything because she was a codependent until she said something. Decades later, 
after therapy. In therapy, as a matter of fact, she said it. She said, she said you know, I almost called off our wedding that day. Now, that, that, that little story and that mantra that was birthed out of it for our marriage now over four decades uh, was a window into my soul and into my life. Because at 21, going on 13, it was all about me. I was self-absorbed. I was what you would call a narcissist. I went to uh, Webster's Dictionary, and I looked up narcissist, narcissistic, and it says this, extremely self-centered with an exaggerated sense of self-importance. I said I wanted mustard on the ham side and mayonnaise on the cheese side, marked by or characteristic of excessive admiration of or infatuation with oneself. Ouch. For 45 years, I've been walking with Jesus. And for 45 years, me and Jesus have spent a lot of time talking about this thing that's inside of me, this self-absorption that's inside of me. You know, uh, because you're a part of LaCroix Church and you get good regular Bible teaching, that we begin our journey with salvation, but it doesn't end there. When we step over the line of faith, it's just beginning. Then we need to spend the rest of our life cooperating with Jesus and the Holy Spirit in this journey of sanctification, this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. What we don't want to be is Jay in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. Jay who said, I'd been a Christian for 21 years, but I wasn't a 21-year-old Christian. I was a one-year-old Christian 21 years in a row. We've got to grow up. I can't simply be this self-absorbed person. And Jesus has relentlessly been challenging me and continues to challenge me about my self-absorption. Now, Bible scholars tell us that in the first century, every Jewish boy longed to have a rabbi, a learned rabbi, come by and say, come and follow me. That after years and years of synagogue school, if they were a tip-of-the-spear kind of student, a learned rabbi would come by and say, you can come and follow me. This is the equivalent of during senior year, you get an Ivy League school acceptance letter. These mothers would put on their wagons, my son is a student of Rabbi Ron, right? My son follows Rabbi Brett, whatever it might be. This is being, this is getting as good as it gets. And can you imagine how these lowly fishermen from the other side of the tracks, you see, all the good boys, they grew up in Jerusalem in that area. The other side of the track was called the Galilee, down near the Sea of Galilee. And it was here uh, that these boys, James and John and Andrew and, and Peter, this is where they were from. And can you imagine how their hearts leapt when this unknown rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus came by and said, come and follow me. And they left their nets immediately, its Bible says, and they, they followed after Jesus. And when they did this, historians tell us that the community would come out and speak a good word or a benediction. The word benediction simply means good word, would speak a good word. They would chant over the boys as they were going off to follow their rabbi. And here's what they said, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. They were supposed to follow so closely behind their rabbi and take his teaching or his yoke upon themselves, and they were to follow him so closely that the dust of the rabbi's sandal would settle upon them. They were to be like their rabbi. They were to learn what it meant to follow Yahweh like their rabbi, 
followed Yahweh. So for three years, these adolescent boys followed their rabbi Jesus. 26,000 hours, these 14 to 18-year-old young men spent following Jesus. And let me just remind you, there was a lot of I want my mustard on the ham side and mayo on the cheese side inside of these young boys. They were narcissists just like I was. So James and John, in one story, they just listened to Jesus, their rabbi. He just told them, he said, hey, listen, guys, um, let me tell you what's happening. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be hung on a cross, and I'm going to die for three days, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And James and John said, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we got that. We got that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Would you do for us what we want you to do? Would you... Would you Answer our prayer request, Jesus, full of themselves. Jesus just said, I'm getting ready to do the one thing that will mark human history, my death, burial, and resurrection. And you want me to do something for you? Okay, what do you want, boys? And in Mark, the boys tell Jesus, "Uh, listen, when you overthrow the Romans, that's what they meant, we want to be in your C-suite executive team. We want to be on your right and on your left. We want to be in charge. We want to walk around with King Jesus, and we are his number one and two princes. How's about that for Jesus? Now, the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us this in Mark chapter 10, verse 41, after that happens. Listen to how Mark records it. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, They were, what's the word there? Indignant. You can can wake up this morning. They were indignant. They were indignant. Now, why were they indignant? Were they indignant because, like my wife, when I asked my aunt to remake my sandwich, she was just aghast at my selfishness? Were they indignant because simply uh, James and John were so selfish? Well, the text doesn't lend itself to that interpretation. The text instead lends itself to the fact that they were angry, that they were indignant at James and John because James and John beat them to the punch. They wanted number one and two seat. They wanted in on the C-suite. They wanted to be the executives because they too were narcissists. I said, I want the mustard on the ham side and the mayonnaise on the cheese side. And Jesus then uses this situation where all 12 of the disciples are just just enthralled with themselves to give them a a lesson that I think um, those of us who call LaCroix Church our spiritual home, we might need to. Here it is from Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 42 through 45. Uh, Jesus called them together, and he said, this is the boys, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them. Read these four words with me. Ready? Go. Not so with you. Say it again. Not so with you. Shake your neighbor and say, not so with you, neighbor. Shake it. Say, not so with you. Yeah, not so with you. Now listen listen to the rest of it. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, not so with you. Jesus was reversing the cultural norm. The cultural norm is that the Gentiles, they they lorded over those, but not so with you. 
Uh, I have two boys, one's 35, one's 40. My 40-year-old regularly says, you do you, Dad. And what he's basically saying is, you do you and I'm going to do me. And that's, that's not a, always a bad thing, but there is a propensity that it's, you know, I'm just making my life about me. You go do you, I'm going to do me. My generation called it looking out uh, for, for number one. It's this propensity that we have to want things our own way. And yet Jesus, in this simple teaching, points to a different kind of living. The radical way of the kingdom of God. It's what I want to call this morning towel-bearing service. Towel-bearing service. In contrast to do for me what we want you to do for us, Jesus, Jesus models a different way. Not so with you. Martin Luther King uh, was preaching about this one morning, uh, and he said this about these verses. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's, that's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Because everybody can serve. You see, in the radical way of following Jesus, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old, educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter. This countercultural way of following Jesus is the distinguishing mark of his followers. Is that they know how to serve. And Jesus didn't just preach this, of course. He modeled it. You remember that foot washing in the first century in Palestine was not a ceremony. It was a necessity. And when we read about it in John 13, the story that Pastor read for us just a few minutes ago, it was about us entering into what I want to call this morning the Palestinian mudroom. Because remember that in the first century in Palestine, no paved streets, no sewer systems, no garbage collection systems. It was all out in the streets and travelers were covered with all kinds of mess on their feet. And so when they sat down to eat and they ate at reclined tables way low, your feet was by your neighbor's face and their food. You wanted some clean feet at the barbecue that day. And so on that famous night when they gathered in the upper room as Jesus is heading towards the Lord's Supper, the communion, which we will celebrate in just a few minutes, and it comes time for somebody to come wash feet, nobody moves. Nobody gets up and says, hey, I'll wash feet. I said I want my mustard on the ham side and my mayonnaise on the cheese side is what they were saying. They were saying life is about me, Jesus. And in that awkward moment, Jesus gets up and he does the unthinkable because he's their rabbi. He's the one that said, come and follow me. He's the one that the community came out and said, may the dust of your rabbi, may it settle on you. And that Jesus takes off his outer grove and he wraps a towel around him and he does the unthinkable. He washes their feet. Can you say awkward? Now, wearing a tunic is what slaves did. And culturally, we wouldn't know this as 21st century Americans, but culturally, first century uh, Jews would not even allow another slave Jew to wash their feet. It had to be a non-Jew to come and wash their feet. And here's Jesus, their rabbi, 
washing their feet. All the air is getting sucked out of that room. This is an unbelievable moment. One commentator put it this way, the one into whose hands the Father had given all things now takes his disciples' feet into his hands to wash them. The one who had all authority, the one who was there when the world was spoken into existence with the voice of God, that one now washes dirty, dung-filled, dust-filled feet. And John records then what Jesus does next. And just like he had harnessed the story in Mark 10, here Jesus harnesses this story as a teaching moment for his disciples Let me read it to you one more time. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done to you, done for you, he asked them. You called me teacher, rabbi, and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, rabbi, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? If you you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. You see, Jesus here embodies his yoke, his teaching. He says, now that I, your master and your Lord, I've washed your feet, you should go do so as well. He was modeling for us and saying for us, this is the way of being a towel-bearing follower of the one who bore our sins on the cross. And can I remind you that our aching and broken and divided world longs for this. Maybe you'll remember uh, it made front-page news in 2019, on Holy Week, on Monday, Thursday, when Pope Francis, the leader of the 1.2 billion member Roman Catholic Church, went to a prison and washed 12 prisoners' feet, but not just washed them, but he kissed them. He washed and kissed their feet. And the entire world stood on tippy toes because that's not what religious folk do. And yet the Pope took Jesus at his word. As you have seen me do for you, you now go do for others. So into a world that's filled with men and women who are just like me, I said I want mustard on the ham side and mayonnaise on the cheese side. Narcissist, self-important Our rabbi invites us, he charges us, he admonishes us, he challenges us. And I wonder if even this morning, right here at LaCroix Church, Jesus is begging us to become towel-bearing servants. So here's the sermon in a sentence. If you don't get anything, I hope you'll get this. Don't throw in the towel, take it up. Say that with me. Don't throw in the towel, take it up. One more time. Don't throw in the towel, take it up. You've, you've seen boxing matches that when the boxer's getting beat to death that the coach will throw in the towel and they say, enough, the fight's over. What I've noticed about the church of Jesus in America, in our post-COVID, economically strained, politically, culturally, and yes, even religiously divided world, where, mind you, newsflash, we got another political cycle starting here right now, into that kind of world, what I'm seeing a lot of believers say is, I'm giving up, I'm giving up on Jesus, I'm giving up on the church. 
And that's the easy thing to do, and I get it, and I understand it, and I've had the thought myself a time or two. But I can't get away from Jesus. And the truth is that I was 45 years ago an alcoholic and a drug addict, either headed to prison or to the morgue. And Jesus rescued my soul. And how can I not but serve him when he's been so good to me? How can I not but give myself in simple service to others because he's been so good to me? Don't throw in the towel, LaCroix Church. Take it up. This could be our finest hour. Remember, Jesus washed their feet before they went to the communion. Could it be that what Jesus was doing in that simple act is saying, if you want to commune with the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the best way to do that is on your knees washing feet, serving people. Two quotes that might help us as we consider what it means for us and how do we do this. Listen to what Mother Teresa said. She says, we can do no great things, only what? Small things with great love. Small things with great love. Here's what it means. It means taking in your neighbor's garbage can. It means inviting the widow who lives down the street to come to Thanksgiving dinner at your house. It means, it means being nice to the barista at the coffee shop. It means today when you go to lunch to give an extravagant tip to a single mom who's trying to keep it together as a, as a waitress. That's what it means. It's, it's, it's not great things. It's small things done with great love. A Korean uh, theologian that I was preaching with at a conference, he said this. He said, uh, don't do great things for a great God. Do good things for a great God. Even in my grandiosity of serving, I want to say, I want to do something great for God. And kind of what I'm saying is, I want my picture on the front page of Christianity today. No, he says, no, no. Do good things for our our great God. Friends, this is the way of Jesus. And maybe this impulse, this impulse to be a towel-bearing servant was in you at one time and maybe it's grown dormant. And the Spirit of God is singing in your soul this morning as you've heard God's Word taught and you're saying, I want to be a servant. A few years ago, I found this video of an elderly Spanish ballerina uh, by the name of Marta Gonzalez. And she was an old woman, and she was suffering from Alzheimer's, and she couldn't remember who she had been. But when she heard the music, she came alive. Uh, turn your attention to the screen.
Isn't that beautiful? When the Spirit of God comes upon a Christ follower, the Spirit of God awakens that which is dead in us. And I think there's some folk who call LaCroix their spiritual home in this room and online that this morning the Spirit of God is stirring in you. A woman stopped me in the lobby after the service and said, the Spirit has awakened me and I'm going to start serving again. Maybe that's you. And here's, I just, I mean, look, I don't go here, and, and, but I love this church. I pray for it. Listen, there are dozens of ways for you to serve here. I want to say this with as much love and tenderness as I can. Many of us in this room need to get off of our blessed assurance and start serving, all right? Okay? God has been good to you like he's been good to me, and, and you just can't be a sitting saint. You need to be a serving saint. But there's a second audience that this video is for. And it's for the hundreds and thousands of people within a, a stone's throw of this beautiful church who do not yet know the love of Jesus. And they, they, they think Christianity is about politics or they think Christianity is about screaming preachers telling them they're going to hell. They think Christianity has nothing to do with their lives because they've never met a towel-bearing servant. The worst night of my life was the night that my 22-year-old son overdosed from a black tar heroin injection. And I thought he was dead. And after a long night of tending to him in the hospital, I brought him home. And it happened on a Saturday night when I had to preach on Sunday. And I was laying with my boy all night. And I love my son as much as anybody can love their child. I laid with my boy all night as he convulsed and threw up. And somewhere in the late morning or early afternoon as I was laying there I heard a door close and I looked out the front window and it was one of the guys in our sanctification project network by the name of Matthew Hartsfield pastor at Bay Hope Church in Tampa and he had preached three services that weekend and got in his car and drove uh, three hours to come to my house to have a, a five-minute prayer. And then when I said, why don't you stay, he said, no, I'm going to leave because a good friend knows when to come and a good friend knows when to leave. And he served us for five minutes for a six-hour trip just so we could know that we were loved. That's what God wants us to do for each other and for this broken world. So the close... So to close this morning, I want us to pray a prayer together. And it comes from my, 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 one of my most favorite uh, verses in the book of Philippians chapter 2. It's called the kenosis hymn. Don't let that freak you out. The word kenosis simply means to self-empty. It's when Jesus emptied himself. And Paul says, what Jesus has done, we should do for others. As he emptied himself, we should do this for others. So this morning, would you make this your prayer as a towel-bearing servant? who calls LaCroix Church their home. Let's pray this together. It's on the screen. Ready? Go. Father, you have invited us into our loving relationship with our neighbors to have the same mindset that Christ Jesus did. Jesus was in very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Jesus did not cling to his divinity, but rather he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Jesus took on the very nature of a servant by being made in human likeness. But his self-emptying did not end there. In his appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our rabbi, our teacher. May we follow in the dust of our towel-bearing, foot-washing, cross-carrying rabbi as we love and serve our neighbors well. Amen. Hey, everybody, we hope you're doing great. We're so glad that you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We love you and we hope to see you again soon.